I think I'm on. That's it. Hello. Okay, well, let's... Um, what I want to do is to go back to your notes. It's, um, as you can see, I'm not teaching them line by line. <laughs> I just can't do it that way. I'm either in writing mode or I'm in sort of preaching mode. And uh, I just wanted to go back to page 15. And let me just pick up where we were at the break. That what you find with many of these prophecies is that they had a, a early church fulfillment, but it was limited. It wasn't as big as the prophets saw. It touched only the Jewish people. It was confined to the city of Jerusalem and maybe the edges of Judea, and that was about the limit of the thing. And um, and if you take, for example, the prophecy of Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And it was 120 Jews in one room. And the purpose was that the, all mankind should seek the Lord. Well, it had an effect, certainly, in the city of Jerusalem. And within two years, the uh, a third of the city of Jerusalem was converted by the power of what happened in the, in the, the upper room the, on the day of Pentecost. Um, so it was powerful in its locality. It had the characteristics of what the prophet saw, but it didn't have the dimensions of what the prophet saw. Now, today, um, it's more like what the prophet saw. Last year, I was somewhere almost 100 million people were baptized in the Holy Spirit worldwide. The community of spiritual believers is rapidly accelerating towards about a, a billion people worldwide. The harvest is absolutely phenomenal. Now that's much more what we saw, amen? Elijah um, had many things said about him that were not fulfilled. So I'd like you to come with me to page 15. I just want to read some of the things which we, which we read were, were said about him. Uh, which we need to go back to page 14. There was, a, there was a restoration of fatherhood. Well, there was no sign of that happening. There was a restoration of family prophesied, turning a disobedient God's people to righteousness, raising up a horn of salvation. The, the, the horn is, is always symbolizes power and dominion and government. And again, it's not my subject. I don't go into it. It would take too long. But when you read in the Bible about horns, David talks about God anointing his horn, talks about God enlarging his horn. He talks about God cutting off the horn of his enemies. And that's allegorical language for, in fact, the very word horn in the Hebrew has the idea of rule or government or authority. And so that's what that's what is being talked about here, that there was going to be he's going to raise up not just a message of salvation, he was going to raise up a horn of salvation. Amen? I was there's the power of government and authority to enforce, if you like, the message of salvation. Amen? Now many of us have been preaching a message of salvation, but we've not had the horn of salvation. It's going to be a different dimension. Amen? And the result will be the rest of mankind will seek the Lord. And let's... Then 
we find, if you come on to page 15, we find that Elisha develops that ministry. Now, what perhaps I should have said before I moved on is that in the fullness of that Elijah ministry, all these things are going to be fulfilled and we're going to see the great evangelistic success. One thing I, I also did not mention, that one of the techniques of these demonic spirits, the spirit which we call the Queen of Heaven, is always to use sexual immorality as a means of destroying and controlling a society. Maybe I should have mentioned that, but that was the weaponry of Jezebel, and it was the weaponry of Herodias, and it's been the weaponry of that spirit all the way through. Amen? And so it always attacks... Uh, moral purity and always brings in moral license. It's part of its means of, 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 of destroying a nation. So let's just move on and to page 15 and we find that um, here's the exclamations of, Eli of Elisha's ministry. He had, he had great sensitivity in the spirit realm. He could see the angelic forces. We dealt with that before the break. He had a highly developed word of knowledge ministry. He could tell you exactly what was going on between Naaman. He could tell the king of Syria, uh, the king of Israel, what the king of Syria was thinking. There were some very spectacular miracles. And the thing about Elisha was his absolute fearlessness. He had far, far greater power and authority. And even kings like Ahab and Hazel and Joash trembled in his presence. And there was an unflagging zeal and passion, even when he was dying. See, the thing that Elisha longed for was a son to pass on his anointing to. Now, I can't prove this, but I suspect that Gehazi was the son he longed to give his anointing to. But Gehazi messed up because when the ministry started to have money given to it, he sought the money. And that's what corrupted him. Amen? I suspect, but I can't prove this, that the same thing happened to Joshua. Achan, he, when Achan grabbed hold of the Babylonish gold and garments and silver and, and wanted the booty, if you like, wanted the, the material treasure of the impact of that ministry. And he was caught out and, and hiding stuff from Babylon in, in his tent. When Joshua comes, he says, my son, my son, you can feel the heartbrokenness of a father here. My son, my son, what have you done? And as a result, there was no one to pick up the mantle from Joshua and take it on in double power in the next generation. The same thing happened with Elisha. There was no one to take up the mantle of Elisha and take it with double power into the next generation because they were corrupted by money. That needs to be a tremendous warning to us. Amen? I believe God's longing to release finances, but the tragedy is if he releases finances, it becomes a corrupting rather than a blessing to the people that handle it. And we've got to come to a far, far greater integrity in these things. Amen? So here's Elisha dying. Now the other thing that he's got, you find this in 2 Kings 13, is he's got a king called Joash who's learned the language but hasn't got the heart. And he comes and says, oh, my father, my father, the chariots and the horses of Israel. He's word perfect in the revelation of the vision, but it's not burning passion in his heart. He can speak the language in the prayer meetings, but he doesn't go out and live the life. Can you hear what I'm saying? 
He goes through the, the, if you like, the, the actions and words of a passionate follower of Elisha, but it's not in his heart. So when Elisha says, well, take, take the arrow and, and gets hold of this guy and tries to steady him to shoot the arrow, the arrow of God's judgment upon the nation of Syria, he, he has to hold him. This old man has to hold the young man to steady the arrow because he hasn't got the sort of power and passion in himself. And then he says, strike the arrows on the ground. And he sort of does it, oh, this silly old man, I suppose I better please him. He does it a couple of times. But there's no faith or passion in what he does. And he said, if you'd done it five or six times, you would have utterly 